I'm Michael Clemens. I'm a senior fellow at the Center for Global Development in Washington. I'm unusual in that I'm a development economist who focuses mostly on migration. I do other things too, but for the last, say, eight years, I have studied mostly the effects of international migration on people from developing countries and people in developing countries. As you say, the subject is very heavily politicized. When most economists study migration, they are typically studying immigration. That is, what, what are the immigrants doing to us in some sense is more or less the subject of most economics papers on this. Uh, I and a few colleagues are unusual in that we focus on the, the places people come from. Uh, what are the effects on those places? And when people think about those, they often think of two things, which are remittances, the large sums of money that people send home, which now are multiple times as large as foreign aid, a very important phenomenon in the world, and the effects of skilled migration, what happens to low-income countries when people with university education, doctors, engineers, leave for other countries. Brain drain is an interesting term. It was coined by British journalists in 1963, tabloid journalists, to talk about the departure of uh, British scientists for other countries like the United States. Uh, it's a rhyming phrase. It's something that resonates with a lot of people. I, I never use it myself, and I urge other people not to use it, because it, it embodies somehow the idea that skilled migration must be bad. That is, it's, it's a pejorative term. I, I could never come to you and say, your country is experiencing a drain and have that be good news. Uh, and, and really to, to objectively assess the effect of skilled migration on countries, it's a bad starting point to start out defining it as a term that is derogatory and negative. There are many indirect effects that are difficult to see when you look around the world. It's very easy to see a scientist get on a plane and leave a country. The indirect effects are sometimes invisible. But recent economic research has suggested that uh, international skilled migrants are involved in technology transfer to the countries of origin. They're involved in forming trade networks. They're involved in encouraging investment back in the country of origin. And even more interestingly, they're involved in transferring uh, institutions and norms from some countries to other countries, such as institutions of democracy or fertility norms. All of the above have been documented in recent uh, very innovative papers. One on technology transfer, I think, is quite interesting. It's by Bill Kerr of Harvard Business School. And he shows that if you are uh, in, say, India, citing a patent that was filed in the United States, you are much more likely to be citing a patent that was filed by an ethnically Indian person. Same for China, same for other international networks. That is, knowledge is flowing from countries where skilled migrants are to the countries that skilled mig migrants originated in, not just at random through the internet, but through networks of people, and those networks of people are only formed by skilled migration. One conclusion I find remarkable is that people look at some uh, deleterious effects that are attributed to skilled migration and arrive at the conclusion that skilled migration should be limited or blocked, uh, such as by quote-unquote ceilings on allowing skilled migrants to enter uh, rich countries from poor countries. Now. Uh, I, I think that's uh, terribly problematic. Uh, first of all, it does uh, significant damage to the migrants themselves. Uh, we're talking about eliminating professional opportunities that uh, people like me and you take for granted on behalf of other people, and that's something that should not be done lightly. Uh, second of all, this uh, foregoes the many benefits of skilled migration for countries of origin, such as technology transfer, such as encouraging people to invest in education in the first place, and that's often quite tightly linked to opportunities abroad. 
Third, the benefits to the countries of origin from uh, blocking migration in, in that sense are, are uh, poorly documented, to put it lightly. Uh, that, that is, I have never seen a poor neighborhood that was developed by preventing people from leaving it. Smart young kids from East London say, I've never seen a poor city. I've never seen a poor region. I've never seen a poor country that was shown to be developed in any sense by uh, trapping, uh, forcing people to stay. This conference is full of young, brilliant scholars who are going to be writing on this issue. I, I would urge that they go in a couple of directions. One is just to gather the most basic facts about the issue. Uh, there's a fascinating new paper by Danny Bahar and Hillel Rappaport. Hillel's at the Paris School of Economics, suggesting that skilled migration actually shapes the comparative advantage of nations. That is, they use uh, product-level trade data and suggest that skilled migrants are involved in transferring ideas and technology that can change what your country can produce, fundamentally shaping the development process. Just things are going on that are way more complicated than uh, we can develop Haiti by trapping the marginal Haitian uh, of a certain education level in, in, in Haiti. I think that's just completely unsupported by, by, uh, by theory and evidence. And the, the second direction is that I would really hope for young scholars to think carefully about policy recommendations emerging from their data. And to, to let me make an analogy to show you what I mean by that. There are economics papers suggesting that uh, when uh, mothers of children work, participate in the labor force, their kids have somewhat more problems, like juvenile delinquency, for example, or substance abuse. There's been that documented correlation. Based on that fact, you could go in one of two directions on policy recommendations. You could say, well, we, we really should be limiting mother's ability to work. And that has been done quite recently in our history, as late as the 30s and 40s in the United States. That was quite legal to do, and many firms did it. Or you could go in an entirely different direction and say, how are we going to facilitate mother's labor force participation in order to avoid these problems, such as by giving them access to childcare? Uh, I would make a similar analogy for skilled migration. If there are problems associated with it, then the problems should be the target of policy. But too often, in the case of recruitment bans or recommendations for ceilings on the entry of skilled immigrants to, uh, to rich countries, what, what economists seek to do is somehow block the phenomenon itself. And that's uh, not, not only not the only direction to go in, but has a, a lot of uh, problems as a direction to go in.